0: Who is the person you have the hardest time believing is loved by God? I asked that question several years ago at a Theology on Tap gathering. In that church, Theology on Tap isn't a book study, but mostly an opportunity for fellowship. And after about 30 minutes of drinking and conversing with one another, the clergy person stands up and tries to get everyone's attention, and then asks a theological question like that one. If it's a good question, people will talk about it for a while, and if it's not, they go right back to whatever it was they were talking about before I interrupted them. This question, though, got their attention and led to some pretty difficult conversation. Some pointed to historical figures who have become for us the very representation of evil, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Ted Bundy, Charles Manson, and the like. Others named particular categories of people, child molesters, or abusive and neglectful parents. Although no one said it out loud, at least one person called to mind someone she knew very well. She came up to me about a week later to let me know how hurt she was by my question, how angry it had made her that I had forced her to bring back to her mind someone who had abused her in the past. She knew in her mind and her heart she admitted that God loved that person, but it was painful to have to confront that truth. It might not have been quite so personal to them, but the apostles and believers in Jerusalem were hurt when they got the news that the Gentiles had received and accepted the good news of God in Jesus. We hear in the book of Acts that when Peter arrived in the holy city, they criticized him saying, "'Why did you go and eat with uncircumcised men?' They were angry because this was Peter, their leader, the rock upon which Jesus had promised to build his church. And he had spent his time, his breath, sharing the good news with the very people who had murdered their Lord and Savior. He had carried the good news of salvation to the Romans, to those who had nailed Jesus to a cross And the first witnesses of the resurrection weren't ready yet to make room in their company for those who had killed Jesus. Sure, God is loving and merciful, they said to one another, but not like that. Looking back, I wonder what is harder for us to believe. That God would bring the good news of salvation to the ends of the earth or that the first Christians had such a hard time accepting that fact. You remember the story of salvation as it spreads in the book of Acts? It starts on Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and enabled the apostles to speak the good news of Jesus in all the languages of the known world, so that all the faithful Jews who had assembled in Jerusalem could hear the message of salvation in her or his own language. And not long after that, because of persecution, the believers were scattered from the holy city, taking with them the message of salvation throughout Judea and even to Samaria, where even the Samaritans became believers. Then the Holy Spirit leads Philip to find the Ethiopian eunuch and translate for him, interpreting the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures. The Ethiopian was by no means an ethnic Jew, and yet salvation belonged to him. The pool of water on the side of the road became the waters of baptism, even for that Ethiopian eunuch. Why does it surprise the leaders of the church that God would take that next step, that next obvious and logical step of spreading the good news of Jesus to all peoples. Why Why couldn't they see that that would be God's plan? Because even though God's message of universal love and acceptance is clear and concrete, in every generation, God is working with narrow-minded and self-interested people like us. And people like us don't like it when God's good news comes to the people we resent most. It's hard for us to look at the truth that God loves them too, that beside us they will be in God's eternal reign. That's why God must come among us in every generation and surprise us, shake us up, even shock us into seeing what we cannot see, what God alone can see, that God's love has no limit, which is what God does in this story from Acts. In order to get the news that God's love belongs to all nations, God brings parallel visions to Cornelius and to Peter, the first, a centurion of the Italian cohort, a distinguished officer in the Roman imperial army. God sent an angel to speak to him, to tell him to send for this Simon called Peter, who was nearby in Joppa. And when the men arrived in the town at that very moment, Peter, on the roof of his house, was led in a trance by God to see the strange vision of a sheet coming down from heaven, full of birds of prey and beasts of prey and reptiles and other unclean animals and a voice that said to Peter, rise, kill and eat. Peter said, by no means, for nothing unclean has ever entered my mouth. To which the voice replied, What God has called clean, you must not call profane. Three times God gave this vision to Peter to let Peter know for sure that God was about to do something dramatic and new. And when Peter followed the men back to Caesarea, he found a house full of people Waiting to hear the news that God would give them. And when Peter opened his mouth and began to speak to them about Jesus, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had fallen upon the apostles at Pentecost. And Peter said to himself, Who am I to hinder God? They must be baptized, even though there was no way for them to be baptized in the church yet. Isn't that how God always works? to come among us and break through those restrictions that we would try to place on God's love, God's plan, God's salvation? Doesn't God always come and startle us with that new thing that God is doing? This church, St. Paul's, has long seen that new work that God does. We are known in this community as a place where LGBTQ people are safe and invited to participate fully in the life of this congregation. Even before our church was ready to celebrate same-gender marriage, we were ready to embrace them. Even before this church, the Episcopal Church, had found a place for transgender individuals in the ministry of the church, we were ready to embrace it. We've long understood that God might be calling even those who haven't been baptized yet by the church to receive the Supper of the Lord. That openness is good news for many of us, but for some, it's still challenging. And yet for all of us, that openness has its limits. Who is it that you find it hardest to believe that God loves? Is it someone you know? Or maybe it's someone you can't imagine ever having something in common with a liberal or a conservative, a republican, a socialist, a chauvinist, a feminist, someone who believes that abortion is wrong and should be illegal in every case, someone who believes that reproductive choice is the cornerstone of a free society a preacher who would use religion to oppress other people, even a terrorist who would kill in God's name, whoever it is you find hardest to love, that person you would hold as far away even to banish them from existence, that person and you have something in common, and it is God's love. The hardest part of unconditional love is that it's unconditional we don't get to decide who gets it. We aren't allowed to create rules to define how it gets dispensed. Because as soon as you try to place restrictions on unconditional love, it crumbles right in your hands. And yet that very thing that makes it so hard for us to embrace is the source of its power. Because when we too are loved like that, loved with a love that has no limit, then we begin to change and the barriers and bonds and shackles that we would place upon love fall away just as they did for Peter and Cornelius and the Jerusalem Christians. The invitation, therefore, is not to love the unlovable for that in and of itself would be impossible. Instead, the invitation is to pursue God's love, to live in it. To dwell in it. To marinate in it. To be filled and immersed with it. Because then that love, when it changes us and dissolves those barriers we would place upon it, it enables us to love as God alone can love, without limit, unconditionally, infinitely. Sit in that love. Linger in in that love. Let it take hold of your heart and shape you. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to pursue love every day until that love consumes us and sets us free to love others just as God loves them, as God loves all of us. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.